0: Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk.
1: Well, it's not just Sports Talk. It's a big Thursday night edition of Sports Talk. Phil Cornblut, Chris Bergen, and Josh Cohen together on this Thursday. Josh and I are here in Columbia. And Bergie, 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 where is is Bergie? That should be a... That should be like, you know, they had the announcement today of the video game mm-hmm. put out by what, EA Sports? Correct. NCAA uh, 2025. And I'd like to remind people, if I may, I mean, they treated this thing like it was the Super Bowl. National riders et cetera. You embarrass yourself in my eyes. It's a game, people. It's not real. It's video. It's a video game. You take it home and let your teenagers play it. But, I mean, you had national college correspondents just like vomiting all over themselves over the excitement that these players are now being invited to have their name, image, and likeness included in this game. I mean, come on. Where are we in the sports world today? I'm serious. It's embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. Of course, I do cover recruiting, and that's embarrassing. But still, at least that's real. But true. The other interesting thing is is that the players now, whoever gets accepted, you put your name in and they accept you. I guess just reading the stories, they get six hundred dollars max for their name, image, and likeness. Six hundred dollars, and, and a game, a free copy of the game. Right, right. Which costs how much? Seventy-five bucks, I think. All right, That's seventy-five bucks stay in my pocket. Um, I don't believe in fantasies. I believe in reality even though I do cover recruiting, and that is a fantasy. Anyway, uh, 600 bucks. I mean, I was shocked. First of all, I'm surprised there's a limit. I didn't think you could put a limit on NIL. Is somebody going to sue? Is somebody going to take it to the Supreme Court? If they can put a limit private on how much company. these guys are going to be paid, if they can put a limit, you know, why can't schools put a limit on how much they're going to pay them? I'll tell you
2: right now. It's a private company, and they're uh, sort of – giving back to the uh, athletes to be able to use their name, image, and likeness. And, and I found it funny. Aside from the fact you're right, uh, real college reporters vomiting. I love that term, vomiting over themselves about this, considering that the majority of the players who actually are going to be in the game don't read any of the stuff those guys put out, <laughs> first off. Secondly, uh, they, the amount of complaints, about $600. The athletes are being screwed again. For what? They they get $600 for doing nothing other than allowing a computerized animated version of themselves and their jersey number to be presented in a, a video game. I would take $600 plus a, a copy of the video game and not complain one iota. I didn't have to do anything for it. Just play my, my sport that I was going to do anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. So uh, that's not news, by the way. That was just on my mind. I don't consider that to be news today by any means. Last night. Wait
2: till it comes out, though. Wait the day it's released, Twitter will explode. I mean, Twitter will will break down. It'll be like the uh, the problem we had with cell phones this morning. There will there will be a, a breakdown of social services because mm-hmm. when the EA Sports College Football game finally returns, it'll be somewhat a lot of people would treat it like a national holiday.
1: Well, they already have. That's what I'm saying. They're already treating it that way, and I'm like, okay, get over yourselves. It's a flipping game. Let me know when the next edition of Monopoly comes out, all right? And I'll be, uh, I'll be excited about that. Uh 898 South Carolina Education Lottery, lucky number. Later on, Mike Morgan, Morgan on the move. He'll join us at 7.05. And then at 7.35, really looking forward to having our friend Gene Sapakoff with us. Gino announced this week that he is done – covering sports at the Post and Courier following a 38-year fabulous career. Going to go on and do something else. He's not retiring, but don't know what he's going to be doing. Maybe he'll share some uh, insight on what he plans to do. Looking forward to having him with us. We'll hear from Brad Brownell following last night's win at Georgia Tech. Tigers played great basketball. When you can combine 50%-plus shooting, especially coming out of the gates making 9 of 10, with 24% defense in the second half, Chris, that's all you can ask for as a coach. You give me oh, yeah. that every day, and you're going to win every game.
2: That is the blueprint for a Brad Brownell perfect performance. You're right, Phil. When you make shots, it's amazing how good a coach you, you appear to be, and especially when you prevent the other team from making shots the way Clemson did last night. And you're not beating anybody if you're Georgia Tech when you allow the, opponent, uh, the five starters on the opponent's to hit at least two three-point field goals. I mean, Clemson's three-point shooting last night was almost enough for them to win. 14 of 29 for the game. Ridiculous a- a shooting last night for the Tigers. Didn't have to go to the foul line. Didn't go all that much. Just 5 of 7 for the game, but good grief. I mean, they blew it out from beyond the arc and really didn't need a Big game from P.J. Hall, just 11 points for him. Took only eight shots. I mean, that's an average game from him uh, at-, at best but a nice way for Clemson to respond after choking one away against Georgia Tech a couple of weeks back to go in there and just dominate from start to finish last night. That was a win they needed after that heartbreaking loss to NC State a couple of days ago.
1: All right, tonight, South Carolina women at home against Alabama. They got a chance to secure the SEC regular season championship with a win tonight. They'll be without Camilla Cardosa, And according to 94 feet WBB, she's just going to be resting. And I guess maybe she's tired after being, you know, in that Olympic event with the Brazilian national team, then coming back. And when did she come back? She came back after the UConn game. So, played in a couple of yeah, games, I since uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So That's correct. She is. she's going to be resting. Uh, Alabama's okay, but I don't think they're in the neighborhood of the Gamecocks. So, they should be fine there if the rest of the guys – excuse me, if the rest of the ladies – Uh, play up to their level, they should be fine and have no trouble tonight. You had a dandy. i tell you what, there were some thrillers last night. Let's begin with yours. You had one to go right down to the last shot.
2: Absolutely did. And quick point about the Gamecocks. Don Staley has never lost to Alabama as head coach at USC. So I don't think that changes tonight. And I told you, Phil, here's what you should have done last night since you were in Atlanta. You had the opportunity to go across the street, watch Coastal and Georgia State, and then also take in Georgia Tech Clemson. You should have come over and watched the game we had last night because it was considerably more competitive. Certainly a really, really entertaining ball game. Went back and forth. Uh, Coastal was down at halftime by seven, came back and actually had a, a what appeared to be a comfortable working margin in the second half. Turnovers really hurt them, though, once again. They, they coughed it up 17 times, and Georgia State scored 17 points off turnovers. It's really tough to overcome. And Coastal, to its credit, the game was tied with 29 seconds left to go. They get the shot they want with about 10 seconds left to play from Jacob Meyer, the uh, fabulous freshman for the uh, Clears, who's just having a remarkable season. It would not surprise me if he is the freshman of the year in the Sun Belt. He scored a career-high 23 last night. His last two was a a 15-foot elbow jump shot that he knocked down to put Coastal in front. The problem was, and Benny Moss told me in the postgame interview with him last night that they started the offense too soon. And Georgia State got the ball out of the basket, raced up the floor, and got an open look for a three from mm. Tenari Lane, who's one of the best three-point shooters in the Sun Belt. And, of course, says luck would have it for Coastal this year, he knocked the shot down with two seconds left to play, and that's how the finished. Coastal lost by one.
1: Yeah. Been that kind of year. Every time it looks like they're about to turn the corner, they take a step back.
2: No doubt, it was their opportunity to win three in a row for the first time this season. Sweet Georgia State, it would have been their first conference sweep in two years. So there was a lot riding on that game last night, and that's one of those games like Clemson head to NC State, like South Carolina head to LSU, you wonder how they'll respond on Saturday against Old Dominion. A game they should win here in Norfolk because ODU is not a very good basketball team. They're actually last in the conference. So hmm. see if Coastal can put that behind them and bounce back and, and at least split this road trip before they wrap up the season next week at home. There are only two more games after Saturday for a coastal left to play in the regular season before the conference tournament. So uh time is of the essence here if you're getting trying to get into seeding. And what you want to do, especially from Coastal's perspective, is make sure you're not in the bottom four. And that prohibits you from playing in the first day. You don't want to do that. It's it's tough enough to win that conference tournament if you only play three days, much less if you have to start on Tuesday and go all the way to the following Monday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, uh, last night you had that thriller down in Baton Rouge. What a ball oh, wow. game that was. Went back and forth in the last 90 seconds. LSU thought they had it. Then Kentucky comes down and scores. They think they have it. And then LSU pulls out a miracle, and their fans storm the court. They got fined $100,000. That's not stopping anybody. I mean, if that mm-hmm. if the fine was to be in there as a deterrent, it's not stopping anybody, and the school, schools don't care. They're apparently more than willing and happy uh, to pay those fines. So 100000 uh, coming off the hip there at LSU, but but one a finish. John Calipari, is he the worst big-name, highly prized coach in college basketball today? They've lost six games to unranked teams this year, teams that were unranked wow. when they played them. I think it was six. I think that's the graphic I saw.
2: That's right. Yep. And,
1: you know, with all the talent that he has – and everything else is he grossly underachieving? We'll talk with that about that with Mike Morgan coming up. But I'm just thinking about it. He might be the worst of the Hall of Fame level coaches out there. Um, I guess maybe you know maybe I'm being unfair because it's it's expected of Kentucky to win a championship every year, and obviously that's impossible. But he's not even coming close now, right? I mean, beating Kentucky is not. I know schools treat it like a big deal. Mm-hmm. They're 17th ranked, and LSU stormed the floor, you know. They just beat 11th yeah. ranked South oh, Carolina. Yes, so, I mean, it, but still, I guess beating Kentucky, no matter where Kentucky is, is, is a special moment for that team.
2: Oh, that's very true. And I think uh, once you establish yourself as a program, and certainly one of the key blue bloods in college basketball, doesn't matter where they're ranked, if they're ranked or not. You beat Kentucky, it's a big, big deal. And I think I saw one other stat that just blew my mind. LSU was the first SEC men's basketball team to beat back-to-back AP-ranked teams by a point. I don't know who kept that stat. I just thought it was really fascinating that somebody out there looked that up. Mm. So they get the one-point win at South Carolina over the weekend and the one-point win last night. And you you begin to wonder, and and Mike's talked to us before, Phil, about how good Kentucky is talent-wise. But does talent – how far does just talent alone carry you in the NCAA tournament? I mean, is this a team that could be bounced in the round of 32? I think it's possible. It's and this is also before. possibly a team to go to Elite Eight. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, he's won one championship at Kentucky, and that was back in 2012. And he's been to two other Final Fours. And in the last two tournaments, of course, they missed the 21 tournament the year after COVID, they missed the 21 tournament. And then the next year they lost in the opening round to St. Peter's. And then last year, uh, they lost in the round of 32. So they did go to the elite eight back in 19. Um, I would say again, you know, one national championship will heck fire. Uh, his predecessor had one national championship, uh, and that came in his first year. Who was it? That? that was uh, Tubby. Tubby Smith had won national championship, and um, it didn't last at Kentucky. Now Calipari, uh, for the players he recruits, at the level that he recruits and the players he gets, I I think he is definitely underperforming as a coach. Did we lose Chris? Hello, Mr. Chris. He must have dropped. But I do think he is underperforming as a coach um, based on the results. I mean, just look at the results. Uh, I'm Listen, I know most places would love to have the run in the tournament that he has or just making the tournament or making a Sweet 16 or an Elite 8, but he's not paid at Kentucky to make the round of 16 or even the Elite 8. That's not what he's paid for. And the accumulation of talent that he has – would tell me that he should be achieving many more Final Fours at least. You know, Dean Smith didn't win; took him a while to win championships, and he didn't win all that many championships. But he went to a pretty fair number of Final Fours at North Carolina, and they'd lose either in the semifinals or the championship game. So, yeah, Calipari, I mean, big name, big talker, great reputation, but I don't see, I don't see the product right now, Chris. That uh, would be expected of a guy that gets paid the money he gets paid and the talent that he accrues there at Kentucky.
2: Well, I was mentioning, and don't know how I lost my signal, so I apologize, but uh, Rob Dillingham, you watch him play Phil and what he was able to accomplish just last night against LSU. I mean, phenomenal talent. Reed Shepard, another phenomenal talent that he has brought in. He gets top-notch elite-type players. So if it's not the talent on the floor, it's got to be his ability, one, either to X's and O's them or to be able to turn them into a cohesive team. And normally it has been the big knock on Kentucky much of this season has been their defense. And once they figured out their defense, no one was going to stop them on offense. Well, now here the past couple of games, including last night, it has not been their defense. They played pretty well. They played well enough to win. It was their offense that let them down at times against LSU. I mean, they went on a 16 to nothing spurt at the tail end of the first half, on into the second half, and had a 10-point lead on the road. Normally, Kentucky turns those into 30-point blowouts. I mean, you look at what they did to Auburn just here recently. So, your guess is as good as mine. I'm sure Mike Morgan will have an interesting take on Kentucky when he jumps on because there's no question they're as talented as anybody, but something is missing, and they're starting to run out of time to figure out what that something is.
1: Put Nate Oates on that Kentucky job and see what you got. Alabama won last night, overtime beat Florida 98-93. Alabama plays at Kentucky. So Kentucky's loss really helps South Carolina in terms of the SEC standings. It puts Kentucky below the Gamecocks at 8-5. Uh, and five. Gamecocks, of course, play excuse me, at Ole Miss on Saturday. Um, elsewhere last night, Duke goes down to Miami and thumps the Hurricanes uh, 84-55, so no trouble there for them. And let's see, uh, Georgia, a winner at Vanderbilt. Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Mississippi State beats Ole Miss. So the Gamecocks will go to Oxford with Ole Miss seeking to win their 20th. They're 19-7, 6-7 in the SEC. They fall 83-71 last night to their rivals in Starkville. Okay, phone number 888 2525 Take some phone calls if you'd like to join us. Uh, Greg Sankey, the uh, commissioner of the SEC, is going to – Visit with the USC Board of Trustees tomorrow for about an hour. Then he's going to talk to the media afterwards. We'll be there for that. I wonder if he's in town, Chris. Uh, to present a check? Well, no, not necessarily. <laughs> I'm wondering if he's in town in expectation of the USC women winning the SEC championship. Uh-huh. But typically, they don't give you the trophy until the tournament, if right. I'm not mistaken, right? Don't they present you with the trophy at the tournament? But maybe, I don't know. I don't know why he's in town. Don't see anything about why he is speaking to the board, unless it's to advise them as to, I don't know, future expansion of the SEC or what's going on with the college football playoffs. Uh, I can't, I can't remember a league commissioner coming in and addressing the board for anything. Well, except you know, back in the day when they were going to be uh, joining the SEC
2: there are several possibilities, and you're sure one of them is not cutting a big check to USC. It's it's his yearly payment for being in the SEC, but I'm wondering if too it's to help maybe bolster, talk to Rick Tanner and the board about NIL opportunities, transfer portal, everything going on in college athletics, maybe this situation. I haven't seen where he's been at other campuses. Of course, we don't follow the other campuses nearly as closely in the SEC as we do USC's, but I haven't seen him going to other schools and talking about what's going on and how to lobby state legislatures, maybe Maybe this is a situation where South Carolina's actually called him in to ask for his help. And total speculation here because it, I, I don't know, and I'll be fascinated to find out why he is in town because this appears to be a, a, a rare opportunity to see him come to USC where you don't have a situation that's an obvious, obvious deal because I, I think you're right. I don't think he's bringing the women's basketball regular season trophy with him tomorrow, though he could. Yeah. But I, I don't see him doing so.
1: Uh, the uh, Post and Courier of Greenville, Strange to say, the Post and Courier covering Greenville had the story today on the cause of death for the former football player Bryce Stanfield who died on February 9th after collapsing during a morning workout at Paladin Stadium two days prior, and the university told the Post and Courier that the death was unrelated to football. An autopsy concluded Stanfield's cause of death was pulmonary embolism unrelated to football, and a pulmonary embolism is a blood clot that blocks and stops blood flow to an artery in the lung. That's according to the Mayo Clinic. Stanfield had no signs of sickness or injury besides a back muscle strain ahead of the workout on February 7th. After Stanfield collapsed, he was rushed to Greenville Memorial in critical condition and put on life support. And today, Furman began spring football practice with all that kind of hanging over them.
2: Boy, that's got to be tough for them. Yeah, I can't imagine what they're going through with that program right now.
1: Hard to move forward, but, you know, I think that uh, Furman has handled this extremely well from the standpoint of how it relates to the family and how it relates to their football team and helping everybody everybody navigate their way through this you're right it's it's not an easy thing at all to to deal with the uh newest bracket from Jerry Palm newest college basketball bracket for uh Jerry Palm uh, by the way after last night's games clemson moved from 28 to 26 in the net ranking and south carolina moved from 58 to 57 so the latest bracket from Jerry Palm he's got clemson a sixth seed against Indiana State in Charlotte. Sign up for that yeah. every day. Uh, got the uh, Gamecocks, a number six seed versus a number 11 from the first four playing in Brooklyn. And he's got the College of Charleston, a 14 seed versus Iowa State in Pittsburgh. Speaking of the College of Charleston, they're in action tonight as uh, they look to uh, continue their run to a CAA regular season title, and they'll play at Delaware tonight. The Cougars have had a great year, Chris, 20-7, and 11-3. You saw them early, and uh, they've gotten better. The thing about Pat Kelsey's team this year, they have gotten stronger as the season has moved on.
2: They really have. it, Like you said, I saw them earlier in the season at the Myrtle Beach Invitational, and you could tell they had the pieces, sort of like Kentucky we were talking about earlier. They've got the talent. They just had to sort of mold them together. And right now they've figured out a way to do so and playing about as well as anybody in the country right now and sitting atop the, uh, the CAA right now. And the, and the matchup with Delaware tonight is going to be a big one for them because that's a team right now tied for fourth in their league. So uh, uh, college, college needs to continue playing the way it has been here of late. I don't know what Pat Kelsey did around the middle of January, but he has certainly figured ...his team out, and he's got them playing really, really well. They play that up-tempo style, and they can shoot the three, and they can do a lot of good things on the inside with Berzovich. So it's it's another solid team for them. Maybe not quite as talented as the one they had last year that made the NCAA tournament, but not far off.
1: I think it's only appropriate today, shifting gears, I think it's only appropriate today on the day that this uh, EA Sports College Football 25 game was announced, and and players... Eleven thousand college football players, 134 FBS teams, they can opt in, and each will receive 600 bucks a copy of the game. I think it's very, very appropriate. On the same day that that comes out, that the NCAA sent out an email this morning to its schools, saying that the schools can no longer decorate a prospect's hotel room on official <laughs> visits. Way to go, NCAA! You know the one thing you gotta love about the NCAA. While the world is trying to move forward, the NCAA's got a chain wrapped around the world and is trying to move it backwards. All cookie cakes and snacks must be handed to recruits in the lobby.
2: What, what's the difference? Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Yes.
1: I- All cookie cakes and snacks must be handed to – I really thought the NCAA had, had outgrown this. I, I thought maybe perhaps they had moved past this pettiness – Apparently, they have not. They are stuck. They are stuck in Petticoat Junction. That's how petty they are. Unbelievable. I mean, this is about as dumb as on on a day where NIL is being celebrated, being called the greatest, the biggest NIL deal, you know, in history. It's young history. Even though a player maxes out at $600, you know, still they're getting paid for their NIL. And here comes the NCAA saying, well, by the way, We've eliminated photo shoots, and you can't put candy or cakes in their hotel rooms on their official visits.
2: And, and I think, too, we can't forget the irony of the greatest amateur upset ever in the history of sports, also occurring on this day 44 years ago, the miracle on ice with the United States Olympic hockey team defeating the Soviets, uh, the same day that EA Sports comes out with a game that's going to pay, allegedly, amateur athletes for their name, image, and likeness. I'd
1: like to see, I'd like to be a fly on the wall in the office of the Department of Knuckleheadedness at the NCAA just to see who it is that comes up with these things that you cannot do for a college athlete and how they come up with these things. Hang on, we got to hit a break. Be right back on Sports Talk. Don't go away. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. Phone lines are open if you'd like to join us. 888 898 2525 is our phone number. Phil Kornblut, Josh Cohen here in Columbia. And Chris Bergen is with us from not the Bergie Palace, but he is in the Tidewater. Is that considered? You're in the Tidewater area of Tidewater Virginia, region, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, Norfolk, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the uh, Waterside Marriott uh, Hotel here in downtown Norfolk. It's a real nice city. I enjoy coming up here, and ODU has got a phenomenal basketball facility. They've also got a great football stadium. So uh, you could see why the newcomers to the Sun Belt were ready to come into the Sun Belt facilities-wise. They are ahead of many of the current members of the Sun Belt, ODU certainly included. They've yep. got a nice basketball arena and certainly a beautiful football stadium. And by the way, I know Pat Daniel is listening tonight. Even though he's got tonight off, he reminds us that we skipped over Billy Gillespie, one of the forgettable coaches at Kentucky, but he was actually in between Tubby mm. and uh, Calipari. Yeah, he was one.
1: forgettable. Yeah, quite forgettable. <laughs> he was indeed forgettable. <laughs> uh 898 is our phone number. South Carolina Education Lottery. Lucky number for you in the sports talk if you'd like to join us. we got some open lines at 7.05. Mike Morgan will be here for Morgan on the Move. I'm sure he'll have a lot of interesting things to share with us from his perspective. And then at um, 7.35, Gene Sapakoff, retiring sports columnist as far as retiring, retiring from this business with the uh, Post and Courier for 38 years. Looking forward to having Gene with us. We'll hear from Brad Brownell coming up shortly, and we'll have some recruiting information for you as well. Uh, some other things, this coming out from Nicole Auerbach just a few minutes ago, that college football's early signing period is expected – to move to earlier in December, ahead of the opening of the transfer portal, John. It would begin the Wednesday before the conference title games. Hmm. Leaders are also looking at adding a summer signing period. Let's talk about this for a second. So now you've got teams preparing for conference championship games, and you also have got to deal with the – last stages of recruiting if you move it up to ahead of the conference championship games and you're going to be dealing with the very end of the early recruiting period trying to get uh, those on the fence to follow your way while also trying to prepare your team for the conference championship game I mean I know maybe. that's only two teams per conference maybe uh you know what 15 20 uh, not 15 16 or 20 or 20 some odd teams around the country but that would seem to be a bit of a, a problem for me if I'm one of those coaches. You follow
2: recruiting considerably closer than anybody I know, so I'll pose this question to you because it makes too much sense to me, so I, I know there's got to be a reason why. Why not move the early signing period, if you're going to continue to have it and then also still have the one in February, why not move the early signing period to right before the season starts? Would that be easier on the coaches, maybe August 1st? as opposed to December, what is that going to be, about the 7th or 8th? Yeah, Somewhere I would agree.
1: With, with of course, of, official visits now taking place in the summer months, in June. Mm-hmm. Most guys are getting their visits in during that period, and they've been taking visits. They had junior days in January. Uh, they had, uh, after the dead period in February, they, they're they taking visits in March and April, uh, and then you're going to take official visits beginning the end of may and into june most are starting to make their announcements in july so yeah why not go ahead and put the early signing period for that matter if you don't have a second signing period it won't be missed it was hardly noticed this time around so if you don't have the option and there's really no reason to give the option the option you might say well They need, you know, some some kids need more time. No, they don't. They've been recruited for three or four years by this point. You know, if you're an elite player, you've been recruited since about the 10th grade, okay? What else is there for you to need to know and vice versa? So, it seems to me that as a junior, you will have visited uh, teams during their season the previous fall, then as a a junior turning the calendar into your what will become your senior year in January you're taking visits uh March and April you're taking visits you're taking official visits in June one thing I would say they have a dead period that begins the end of June and runs um, the the length of July almost mm-hmm. uh, like the last weekend of July last few days of July is open um, of course they do allow official visits that last weekend in July so that's another shot at, at getting uh, kids on campus. So I, I think you're, you're right on. I think a signing period the first part of August before camps begin would be an ideal solution and eliminate the February signing period. I mean, we've, or it, you can call it tradition, but everything else in college football tradition has been wiped out, so might as well wipe out that tradition as well.
2: All right, so traditions be darned. How about i throw another outside-the-box idea at you with regards to recruiting. If you're ready to commit, why do we need a specific signing day? If you've got a committable offer from, let's say, Josh Cohen is being recruited by Clemson to go play as a wide receiver for the Tigers. He loves it up at Clemson. He's ready to sign. And then he has to wait six months yeah. to sign. Why couldn't Davos Sweeney hand him a national letter of intent, let him sign I'll right there? I'll, as, I'll tell and you why. I'll tell you why. As long as you don't oversign, I'll tell why, you why.
1: why would that not work? Because your competitors always believe they can flip a guy. And so, and they also believe that you would have many, many uh, players asking for their release because they signed too soon, they rush their decision, they can be tricked into signing and not, you know, not tricked okay. in terms of, you know, s- sign this and I'll, and I'll get you an ice cream cone and, and you're signing your life away. No, no. I'm talking about just making a mistake by signing too soon, regretting it, leading to more problems, uh, and... The other folks would never, you know, your opponents wouldn't agree to that. If you were in favor of it, your opponents would be opposed to it because they want the opportunity to continue to recruit the guy in the hopes of flipping him, you know. That's where you have your decommitments and your, your quick mm-hmm. commitments to somewhere else. So that's why that would never happen again. That used to be the case, you know? Uh, you know, back in the 60s, I guess, maybe even into the early 70s. You could commit a guy, I think even sign a guy pretty much any time. But then they started putting in these particular periods of time when you could do it. to try to bring some organization to it, I think. And I got no problem. I like your idea. I like the 1st of August okay. for a signing date. I think that's a, a darn good idea. And you can get it all done and then focus on, on your season at that point in time. And players, It seems now, to
2: me, though, if you're getting your team ready, your current team ready to go play in the SEC or the ACC or the 12th championship you should have a whole lot more on your plate to worry about than 25 kids, whether or not they're going to sign on Wednesday like they pledged to do. Don't you think? I mean, that would eliminate that. And then once you get everybody signed in August, as you pointed out, you could probably sign your entire class in August, pretty much what Clemson and uh, South Carolina almost did this past year. You could go ahead and get everything signed and not have to worry about February and not have to worry about recruiting at all uh, except – the next year i just think it, it would eliminate a lot of problems and i'm not that's not an original thought on my side that's a situation where i've heard other coaches talk about that and i think it makes
1: perfect sense no decision it says here has been made yet on the early signing period's duration but it will last either three or seven days the transfer portal john window opens the day after teams are selected for the college football playoff so that's another thing that they need to address okay so now you're in the playoffs but you got the transfer transfer uh the transfer window opening now that's on your table as well now your players most likely you're not going to have anybody leave you those that are going to be in the playoffs they're probably going to stick they'll leave after they lose or after they you know win it all that's when some of those guys will start to to depart but here again As a staff and all, you know, attention divided while you're trying to prepare a a team for the playoffs, you've also got to keep an eye on what's happening on the transfer portal side of things. Um, I just think they could put a lot more thought in organization so that it makes more sense for them. Why, Why do they want to make it so hard on themselves for recruit? First of all, they should reduce the recruiting calendar, if you ask me why they want to have a situation where they put themselves where they have to recruit 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, they need to put in a hard and fast uh, calendar, and I know they do have some breaks here and there. Then again, on the other hand, I'm not them, and I guess these coaches enjoy recruiting and enjoy going out on the road and enjoying – texting 24 hours a day and FaceTiming, and I guess they enjoy it. But I promise you, to a man, if they were to put in rules that were ironclad and would say, look, okay, you can only have official visits here, here, and here. And you can only go on the road, and they do that now. I mean, but I'm talking about reducing the amount of time you spend on the road. Right now, in the evaluation months, you can make two visits to a school. One to see the prospect in person and meet with him, and the other to check on his academics. Why can't you do both in the same visit and just mm-hmm. have one school visit per, per athlete? Um,
2: and, I just, and I just saw something as well on Twitter, Phil, about the possibility of moving that uh, signing day back to the Wednesday before the uh, championships, uh, conference championships. Wouldn't that coincide, especially here in South Carolina, and my guess is around the country, with high school state championship weekend? Isn't that, isn't that the same weekend?
3: Yes, it
1: is. The championship weekend has been the same weekend as those football championships, yeah.
2: So, so you would have high school kids trying to make the biggest decision of their life to that point, aside mm-hmm. from, I guess,
1: who they're taking to the prom. Yeah.
2: And then also, oh, by the way, trying to get ready for the biggest football game they
1: have played to that point That's in their a good point, is. yeah. That's an excellent point. Okay, phone number, 888 South Carolina Education Lottery. Lucky number for you here on Sports Talk. Come back and hear from... Clemson basketball coach Brad Brownell about his team's win last night at Georgia Tech. Hey, it's never too soon to make your plans for the beach coming up this summer. Make sure you give Jimmy Smith the call at James Smith Real Estate, PaulysVacationRentals.com. His phone number is 843-237-4246. Let Jimmy make that perfect beach getaway happen for you. Be back in a moment.
0: Major Downer here from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Boating season is just around the corner. To make sure that your boat is ready, check your registration sticker and ensure it's current. Find your registration card, make sure your life jackets are in good shape, and check your fire extinguisher as well. For more information on boating or boat titling questions, visit dnr.sc.gov backslash boating.
4: Last year was a big year for Founders Federal Credit Union and our amazing members. A total of $30 million was given back to qualifying members in the form of loyalty bonus dividends, proving once again that it pays to be a Founders member. Founders is also committed to pouring time and resources into the local communities we serve. If you aren't a member yet, what are you waiting for? Join Founders today. Visit foundersfcu.com. Federally insured by NCUA. Membership qualification required.
2: You've put in the work for your education. The extra early, extra late, extra, extra work. That's because you understand education opens doors to better pay, better opportunities, and a better you. Being educated about playing the lottery is no different. It helps you be a better player, one who knows when to play and when to take a rain check. The lottery's a game, so let's keep it fun. Learn more at sceducationlottery.com slash better you.
1: He has left us. The team is departing, and so he has to go with them. So we bid him adieu. He'll be back with us tomorrow night from over there in Virginia. Here is uh, another story on that story about the signing period and a proposed earlier signing period. So this is from Ross Dellinger from Yahoo Sports, who says SEC leaders are exploring a way to unclutter the month of December, a concept the league is – as he put it, socializing with other conferences. The entire month of December would be a dead period for recruiting. The early national signing day would move up about two weeks to the early portion of the month. This is from Greg Sankey, telling this to Yahoo Sports Today. The plan originated from SEC AD's meeting and has the support of coaches who reviewed the concepts last week, the potential December changes now being uh, talked about across the country, the proposal implements a new dead period over the first 17 days of December, and coaches cannot contact or visit recruits during that dead period. In the plan, the early signing period will move to the first week of December, the Wednesday, before conference championships are played, that weekend. So that is the same thing Nicole Auerbach reported. This has a different angle in that apparently it's being pushed by the SEC. Um there is urgency to do this ahead of the new 12-team CFP, whose, first, whose four first-round games will be played on the Friday and Saturday in the third weekend of December, that is December 20 and 21 this year. Okay, so uh, I guess we can talk with Greg Sankey about that tomorrow when he is in Columbia. So last night in Atlanta, Clemson took it big, to Georgia Tech, Tigers uh, jumped out early and hit eight of their first nine shots, uh, built a lead, got down to six a couple of times, uh, got it back up to uh, double digits at the break, continued to build it, got it into the 20s, never really, they were never really threatened in the second half. They kept their shooting up, and they really clamped down defensively. Some of what Brad Brunel thought of his team's performance from last night.
4: You know, certainly a terrific win for our team. I thought we played outstanding. Um, always helps when you make shots. And uh, we started the game uh, extremely well. Obviously, last time we played, we did not make shots. So we probably it evened out a little bit today. Uh, just pleased with the way our guys guarded. I thought we sustained it um, defensively on both ends for the full 40 minutes. And uh, it's just good to get get another road win. So excited about it. and. Trying to get ready for the next one, coming back
2: after a tough loss to, to to get that start. How big was that for the psyche of the team? You
4: think? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, we've had some hard, heartbreaking losses. Certainly, um, these guys—the first time in Virginia and, and then NC State—and uh, you know, I'm proud of our group. Our group has responded. I really challenged them um, on Monday. We had a very difficult film session, and and uh, you know, I challenged our older guys and And uh you know it's such a long season. I think that it's it's basketball's so long that it's hard to play well all the time and it's hard to to not get distracted as players and teams and to get down and I kind of really just try to get our guys to think back to November and early December and just remember the the joy that we were playing with and uh you know I used the in every huddle tonight we just said spirit, like team spirit because we were just trying to get back to our our team spirit, just that feeling that we had. We didn't play great basketball every game in November and December. In fact, we won that tournament against UAB and Davidson and didn't play well in some games. But we had such good camaraderie and spirit and energy that it carried us. And I think sometimes through the length of a season, you get wounded and then people get distracted. They get a little upset and – Disgruntled or whatever, or distracted, and, and you lose some of that. And so we just tried to get back to how we felt in November and December. And, and uh, I think my older players did a really good job of, of uh, making that happen tonight.
0: Uh, Coach, kind of on Chase Hunter, um, fifth year player, you talk about it a lot. He's battled injuries, adversity.
4: Yeah.
5: Um, I mean, I can remember watching him as a freshman, and he doesn't look anything like he
1: does today what's what kind of the, the testament to his
4: uh, progress? Yeah, obviously that's, that's our whole Clemson Grit motto is just hanging, you know, passion and perseverance toward a long-term goal and sustaining, continuing to believe in yourself and working through it, not giving in. And I think Chase has done that throughout his career, and it's been it's probably taken a little longer than we all would have liked or hoped. But, man, I'm proud of him. Um, these last couple of years, he's played really high-level basketball. Tonight was, he was fantastic. He was the best player on the floor. Um, some of the defensive plays that he made in the second half. And uh, some of the defense that he has played in the last month, he didn't play quite as well against State. But, I mean, he's in some of these road wins, he's been terrific. And uh, I'm just really, really proud of him, the confidence that he's gained. And, and when he plays like he did tonight, we're, we're a whole nother team. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, again, he's grown through the program, and that's what every, this is about. As coaches, that's what we're trying to do. Brad, the uh the shooting will get the headlines, but I, I gotta believe the
1: twenty four percent defense in the yeah. second half will m- let you sleep easier tonight.
4: Yeah, we've you know, we've had trouble at times defending as well as we need to. Um, you know, the last ten minutes against state we played very poorly defensively. We were you know, okay in the first half, average probably, then for the you know, the next ten minutes of the second half we were fantastic and then we had a lull and that's a little bit how we've played at times this year. And, and uh, so just getting our team to sustain defensively and compete for the full 40 minutes, um, you know, we have some weaknesses that our guys really have to stay focused on. And, and tonight they were terrific. And uh, I thought they followed our game plan very well, and they just continued to play with great effort throughout the full 40 minutes.
2: How much did it help early for PJ and Ian to show off their versatility and, mm. and knock down those threes? Yeah, a
4: lot of – we knew going into the game that, that those shots were going to be open. They were packing things in the paint a lot. And, uh, you know, we just told our guys rhythm shots. You got rhythm shots, be shot ready. Um, you know, we have confidence in our players to shoot those those shots. And certainly it's great to see Ian take a few more because um, he's more than capable. Um so, yeah, getting off to starts like that, it's kind of how we started against North Carolina on the road. There's no question that gives your team a little shot in the arm. You got a little extra pep in your step on defense. You know, makes you feel pretty good. And and certainly we we built off that start the rest of the way.
1: And Tigers return home for another 745 tip on the CW, unfortunately. Saturday night against Florida State, a very winnable game for Clemson. So, you know what's funny? Well, they did have that loss to NC State. We talked about Clemson needing to maybe run the table. Maybe not so much. Of course, they didn't. They're not going to run the table because they had that loss to NC State. But the schedule sets up nicely for them the rest of the way. Then again, as we noted with NC State, you got to be at your best every night now heading down the stretch because, I mean, teams are pulling surprises all over the place, right? Look like at LSU, beating South Carolina, beating Kentucky. But the Tigers, as they head down the stretch here, Florida State, and then they got Pittsburgh, which was playing very well, but then they took a loss the other night. So how good are they? But they have been good. That'll be a tough one at Clemson on the 27th. Then they go to Notre Dame. Notre Dame's not had a good year. They get Syracuse at home, already beating them on the road. Um, Then they finish up at Wake Forest, which is dangerous. So, you know, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest look to be, to me, their most difficult tasks left, though anything, as we know, can happen on any given night there. But a good win for Clemson last night, shot the ball well, finished at 53% overall, had 14 three-pointers, and uh, I think they attempted, like, what, 29 or so, um, and really did a good job defensively on Georgia Tech's three-point shooters. Did not let them get those rhythm shots Remember, in the win at Clemson back in January, Georgia Tech shot the lights out. So uh, Clemson was very wary of that, and they made sure they got on their their shooters. And they didn't let Georgia Tech beat them up inside either, did a good job inside. Uh, P.J. Hall on his birthday was very, very good. Shefflin was once again good. And you heard him talk about Chase Hunter being the best player on the court last night, made a lot of big plays, both in terms of uh, his scoring, had 18 points, and he had six assists last night. Clemson had a bunch of assists last night they moved the ball extremely well so a good win for the tigers 18 and 8 8 and 7 hanging in there as one of those four acc teams right now expected to make the tournament at this point north carolina duke virginia and clemson and we'll be back top of the hour break
0: welcome back to sports talk on the sports talk media network You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network.
1: We are back. It is Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network on a big Thursday night here in the capital city. Phil Kornblut here, Josh Cohen as well. In just a moment, Mike Morgan will join us with Morgan on the move, brought to you by State Farm agent Gary Patterson. For 35 years, Gary's been serving the real estate needs from Lugoff to Lexington and Columbia to Blythewood. Your auto, home, life insurance, business insurance can all be handled by Gary, who spends countless hours helping South Carolinians with all their insurance needs and making a difference in the community. So go check out GaryPatterson.net today, and Gary will go over the best plans for you and your family. That's GaryPatterson.net. right, Mike Morgan joining us here on Sports Talk. Another edition of Morgan on the Move. Welcome in, Mike. I was in Atlanta yesterday for Clemson and Georgia Tech. I was driving through the streets of Hotlanta, tuning through the radio, and come across your sultry tones on a sports talk show <laughs> on the FM dial. And you know what I did? I was I was the caller. I was Bo from Buckhead. I disguised my voice. You might recall. Bo from Buckhead. I was the one wondering why your name was not on the marquee, was not on the opening of the show. I heard the others. Yeah. I did not hear Mike Morgan. What's up with that?
5: Well, you know, your story was very believable up until the point where you said you were ready to call the show. We don't take calls on that show. <laughs> it's, it's uh and of course it's it's not my show, it's it's Chuck and Chernoff, which is probably the the most popular show in the market. And those guys do a great job and, and I fill in uh for both time and time. Gives me a, a, a taste of what I you know, did for for many years and still love doing without the responsibility of doing what you do, which is locking it down for five days a week. That's not an option. But yeah, it's a four hour show mm. and no calls, no text messages, one guest per show. The rest of it, and I mean, every segment is very regimented and planned. We have to tease to every break. So it's never a Okay, we'll be back after this. No, 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 no. Coming up after the break, we'll tell you why the Atlanta Falcons are thinking of trading the number eight pick. Coming up after the break, do the Braves settle on their number five starter, or do they look elsewhere? Coming up after the break, <laughs> the Georgia Bulldogs, are they a lot to be the number one seed in the upcoming 12-team playoff? That's the way it goes. Um but, no, I uh, it, it's it's different than what I'm used to, but it's yeah. a lot of fun. And I, I thank you for listening, even yeah. though we couldn't get your call on the air.
1: Yeah, 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 Bo from Buckhead. Uh, so it's everything this show is not. It's organized, it's planned, it's, uh, <laughs> exactly. it's prepared, it's, it's everything we're not. Okay.
5: <laughs> and we don't have a recruiting. Or- <laughs> yes, it's, it's exactly where I was headed. Yeah, what,
1: uh, a- <laughs> what time is your Wells recruiting report?
5: There is no recruiting report. And we don't tell you who qualified 27 for the upcoming NASCAR race.
3: I
1: love it. I
3: love it's,
5: it. it. It's the anti-sport. Don Williams would be sick if he heard it. Uh, yes, he would. Yes, he
1: would. On to other Actually, things. would
5: probably love it because he's a structural guy.
1: He is. On to other things. I was stunned. I want to get your mm-hmm. reaction. First of all, did you know it was going to happen? And let me, you know, last night I was – pretty hot about it and I still am uh, the uh, the firing of uh, Eli Gold or the failure to renew his contract by Learfield at Alabama and I want to get your thoughts on it. you know mine last night were you got to be kidding me. if his health is good which he says it is, you got to be kidding me. I heard him do games last year. he sounded as good as sharp as ever. and if anybody remaining in that line of work, Deserves to go out when he's ready to go out on his own terms, or when his health really forces him to go out. It would be Eli Gold. I cannot believe Alabama. I cannot believe Learfield. Though I know Learfield will do things to people that uh, you know are, are harmful to them. I know that from firsthand experience. But I can't believe they did that to Eli Gold, one of the true last remaining, certainly in the SEC, the last remaining play-by-play icon, and maybe around the country. I know you got guys like at Ohio State that have been there a long time, Missouri, been there a long time, et cetera, great voices. But come on, man. Eli Gold deserved better.
5: You're putting me in a little bit of a tough spot here. Um, I know Eli. uh, I know his successor successor a lot better, Mm -hmm. Chris Stewart. Um, I've been friends with Chris for over 20 years. When I got the Gamecock job in 2000 and then started doing basketball in 2002, 2003, I was the youngest announcer in the SEC, and Chris Stewart was the second youngest announcer in the SEC. you got to remember, at that time, you had guys like Eli Gold. You had Jack Crystal of Mississippi State, who was about 80. You had Larry Munson of Georgia. You had a uh, David Kellum is still doing it at Ole Miss. I know, mm-hmm. you know, David. Well, you had Jim Hawthorne of LSU. Uh, who am I missing? Uh, Bob Kessling at Tennessee, mm-hmm. Mick Hubert at Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had all these guys and I, and, and please don't misunderstand me. Uh, uh, experience is good, but they were much older than me and Chris. We, we were like the young guns, so to speak. And um, anyway, uh, to answer your question, I, I don't have inside information. I haven't I congratulated Chris because I know him, but I have no idea uh, the inner workings of how that went down. But when you're <laughs> when your legendary football announcer says point blank, hey, I'm fine. I didn't quit. They gave me they showed me the door. Uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting look. I will tell you this. You mentioned Learfield. What made uh he, and I don't know this for a fact, but I can tell you what made what makes Bob Kessling's situation at Tennessee unique, uh, Mick Hubert when he was at Florida, and now the new successor to him, uh, a couple other guys, they are full-time employees for the university. And and so the university, you get, you know, health insurance, you get all kinds of benefits, and the and while these companies the radio companies very often want to cut corners on on salaries and they would just rather hire a, a 30-year-old from Syracuse who's mediocre and has no identity to anything and is just a hired gun uh but then they'll claim they did a national search to get him you know how that works mm. um the the universities the one that really value that position that they don't roll that way they hire the best of the best and they treat them as full-time employees so that's what Tennessee and Florida does I don't know if the, if Alabama had the same setup for Eli or not. Uh, so the key thing that very very many people don't know, that the radio play-by-play jobs for, for the universities, they're not all built the same. Some are just run by conglomerates that are all about pinching pennies. Uh, and some are, they really value the position, and they hire people that they they take good care of, and you're not subjected to, well, we we found somebody cheaper, so we're gonna let your contract run out. Just just food for thought on that whole situation.
1: Yeah. I just find it humorous that Learfield will employ some play by play announcers who could not announce their way out of a paper bag and they let a guy like Eli Gold a Hall of Famer, a true pioneer in this business. They let a guy like that walk when and listen, I know Chris too. I mean we used to work for the same people you know at one time he worked for the Alabama Radio Network, which was owned by right. the same people that owned us and we were we still our friends and i right. used to do shows from their network there in um in Birmingham so yeah. this is nothing about him. he's quite qualified and he's different from Eli obviously, just like um just like Scott Howard is different from Larry Munson in a lot of ways. Though if you listen right. to Scott, he's got a lot of Larry in him because he worked side-by-side side with Larry for so mm. many years. He's got a lot of Larry in him, mm. I think, in his own way. Mm-hmm. But this was just shocking to me. I mean, if Eli Gold says, I'm healthy and I want to give it a roll and keep going, maybe they thought, too, you know what, new head coach, new era, we've got to kind of wipe the slate clean here with football and, and give this next generation of Alabama fans just a fresh look.
5: I honestly don't know uh I'm sure I'll find out <laughs> when it's time, but uh again, if you've got a really strong a d and Alabama does uh if you really want to keep your guy around you you tell you tell the rights holder what you want, you don't just say well, you know whatever you say mm. uh so i I don't know exactly how all that uh went down, yeah. I, I really don't um you know, I know that Eli has had some poor health and has had to miss games, and so Chris has already filled in on some. But uh, every situation is uh, is unique. But to 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 your point, I was on the the show yesterday here in Atlanta, hosting.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, we never we never got to Bowen Buckhead, but we did get mm-hmm. uh, an update. Our update guy told us. And I said, well, that can't be right. I said, read the story again. I don't want to go on the air with that unless I know it's 100% accurate. He goes, Mike, here's the story right here. Yeah. And So I I was just as surprised as you were. Uh, If Eli would have just stepped down, I would have said, well, that makes sense. He's had a long and distinguished career. Uh, But the way it went down, I I think that's a surprise to a lot of people.
1: Yeah. You know, part of the reason you didn't get that call from Bo from Buckhead was the number I kept getting. Would uh, direct me to the Gold Club. It kept, it kept bouncing to the Gold Club in Atlanta. Some some gal kept answering the phone. Gold Club, can I help you? How many yeah, in your party? I, so um, I don't know. I maybe think that's
5: been I think that's been closed for about twenty years after the NBA got through with it. <laughs> <laughs> after visiting uh, players to the Hawks uh, got through with that, I think that was shut down quite some time ago.
1: Yeah. Morgan on the move. So I said earlier, you know, Kentucky loses last night at LSU. LSU had a great week. Who had a better week than LSU? They beat number 11 on the road. They beat number 17 at home. But I, I just said, you know, John Calipari, for his reputation and his money and all that, And yes, I know he gets him to the tournament, and he did win a national championship many years ago, and he's been to a couple of other Final Fours. But I think he's underachieving as a coach considering his talent especially this year what is that six losses now to non-ranked teams what do you say about that
5: we were talking about this today on inside the Gamecocks with jc it's a great show. It's a great, show it's a great show great show part of the chief sports network what much like your empire yes uh if only we could find a good lead-in show i don't know where we'd find that exactly anyway
1: how about more um, morgan how about a show called more morgan
3: <laughs>
5: you are the master of titles for segments you've got a yeah. gift thank you uh i still have people like random people go oh yeah morgan on the move I'm yeah like, really that's, that's how you know me you know i do other i do other things yes you do do you ever watch tv no nah, i never heard of you um uh no i i, I think that uh you know what, I just forgot the question. Oh, Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs>
5: we were talking about this, how Coach Cal is, I don't think he's ever felt more heat from the fans, not from the administration. If you look at that contract, he is almost unfireable. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It is It is like a lifetime deal. Uh, he, he, when he had leverage, boy, did he cash in. But the fans, to your point, They haven't made it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament in five years. That ain't good around there. That's like if Alabama football went five consecutive years in in the now 12 team playoff era where they didn't make it for five years in a row. Kalen DeBoer will be out of a job before he ever hits number five without making a playoff. It might take one and he'll be gone. So there's no question. There's a lot of heat on them there. I like that team overall. Now they, they, look LSU as you saw mm. is not bad no and and Kentucky had the game won. they went on a little bit of a flukish play right you got a you got kind of an air ball situation and then the guy gets it back and he tosses it up near the rim and uh another guy for LSU I think it was Ward tapped it in as the buzzer sounded But, yeah, I I mean, what you're saying is what's echoed by much of Big Blue Nation, which is, hey, we've had enough of this. We want Final Four teams here. Uh, This March will be very interesting for Kentucky basketball. It really will because that is a good team. That's not just full of, like, first-round draft picks. They're used to that around there. They're good college players. They're not just prospects. They're not just upside guys. And they do play well together. They're not selfish. They don't have any of those issues. But for whatever reason, they have lost some games that they shouldn't. And this came a week after they went to Auburn and blew out the
1: Tigers. Yeah, yeah, very impressive. Now they get Alabama, I think, in Lexington Saturday. That should be a dynamic game between those two. And see what Nate Oates can do with his club against Kentucky.
5: That's a monster matchup. Uh, And if Kentucky decides not to defend, which they've gotten better at that lately. But if they didn't, and the way Alabama scores, they might get 150. It might be 150 to 148. Uh, no, that that, that game's going to have a lot of juice. That'll that that that'll be a lot of fun to watch. I wonder, I don't even know off the top of my head, is that an ESPN game or the CBS parachute in one last time? I don't know.
1: Yeah, let me see here. It is going to be on CBS at 4 o'clock. CBS. CBS. Well, Hopefully it'll
5: be somebody who actually knows a lick about the SEC.
1: (laughs) Vern's not walking through that door. Uh, Good night for South Carolina last night, despite not playing, because they had Florida lose, you had Kentucky lose, uh, you had Ole Miss lose. Those are teams stacked behind them in the standings, so they got a little bit of breathing room. they got to go to Ole Miss Saturday and find what they had going back a couple of weeks and see if they can apply it to this Ole Miss team.
5: Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, uh, if I'm a Carolina fan, I'm not so obsessed with the standings right now as I am just getting back on track. Don't, don't sit there and obsess over winning the SEC championship. Just make sure you get in the tournament and get as good a seat as you can. Uh, if you lose this game on the road, and Joe Lenardi just knocked Ole Miss out. Mm. I don't know if you saw that. They're now on the, they are the first team out of the field. So they, they desperately need to win this game at home to get back in it. And Carolina loses the game. That's three in a row. And you look at the rest of that schedule, man, oh, man, Florida, Tennessee, at Mississippi State, uh, there's a lot of tough games left on that schedule. So I think it becomes a very crucial game, not a must-win. That, that term is used entirely too often. But I think it's a very important game. In Oxford, And I think a very winnable game, quite frankly. If Carolina gets back to the kind of play that Talon Cooper, who I'm a big fan of, uh, and Michi, if he's healthy, uh, who had been struggling even before he wasn't healthy, if those two guys get back to playing the way they were early, I still think Carolina is one of the best teams in this league. But if they struggle, there's not enough there to win games against really good teams.
1: Mike, as always, we appreciate it. Look forward to hearing you again next time I'm in uh, Hotlanta on your hot Bo radio and show there. Yeah, Bowen we'll Buckhead. We'll give you the Look
5: hotline for- number. We'll, we'll, just, we'll break all the rules and say, <laughs> yep. hey, uh, 680 the fan has a distinguished caller, uh, a man who has been around radio uh, for his entire life, uh, a, a, a true savant of sports
1: talk mm.
5: and we'll just say, here's Bo from Buckhead. Somebody AKA who, a corn
1: blue, somebody who like Eli gold has been fired by Learfield knows all about it.
5: <laughs> now yeah. I know where,
1: where <laughs> that interview, where that questioning was coming from. No, I'm just look, Learfield treated me, you know, very well at the end of the day. They just did some things. Uh, people, people made some decisions in my last couple of years there that didn't sit well with me, And, uh, had to suck it up and roll with it, but you know what? We survived. We're survivors I, over here. I will here.
5: tell you this. I will tell you this. If it was indeed a Learfield call, uh, the the amount of money Eli was getting versus the amount of money Phil Cornblut
3: was mm,
1: getting, mm.
5: you know what I mean? Two, yeah. two different things not, there.
1: Not in the same. <laughs> not in the same stratosphere. To say Eli to did say quite the least. well. Yeah.
5: When you get to call seven national championships at a school, yeah. it's amazing how much better your fan base loves you, and they love them some Eli
1: Gold. No question. Uh, I bet uh, you they're the still Institute burning, burning in, their, their gun. And this, again, it's not, and I hope people don't take it out on Chris Stewart because he doesn't deserve it. He's just the next guy. No, 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 no. He's just the next guy in, but, I mean, come and on. qualified, as you mentioned. Again, they didn't, they didn't just go, eh, who's the
5: cheap kid from Syracuse yeah. with no identity – that you know that they they ran off a conveyor belt with a nasally voice and the same old crap. That they they actually hired a pro that's paid his dues and already has an identity with with their, with their fan base. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's a good succession plan if you have to go that route. But uh, it, it is a little bit uh, it is a little bit interesting to see how all that went down. And uh, like I said, I was su- as surprised as anybody.
1: Mike, have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, take care. Thank you very much. Mike Morgan. Morgan on the move here on Sports Talk. Hope you enjoyed the segment. After the break, we'll come back and give you some recruiting notes. I think we can squeeze those in. And then Gene Sapakoff joins us 735 to talk about his life and what's ahead for him. We'll be back in a moment here on Sports Talk.
0: with
2: lawyer lisa hi this is lisa Hostetler brown if you or a loved one are over 65 and haven't completed a long-term care planning consultation now is the time. Did you know that if you aren't able to afford the high cost of skilled care, your assets can be rapidly depleted to only $2,000 unless you plan five years in advance? Visit LawyerLisa.com to see how we can help. 7511 St. Andrews Road, Irmo, South
3: Carolina. Last throw, big guy. Come
2: on, baby. I need me a giant bear.
3: I got this.
0: I'm the target. Ben, throw. Hey!
3: Yeah! Oh, wow. Look who won a giant bear.
5: <gasps> That's a grizzly. Oh, mama's baby bear.
3: When
1: you join the South Carolina Education Lottery's Players Club, you get way more than you expect. More chances, more wins, and more surprises. Yeah, he's had all his shots.
3: Just don't look him in the
1: eye. Join the Players Club at seeducationlottery.com because more happens
0: here. George Bryant for Tsunami Bar Sports, our inventor, David Abernathy, has always said Tsunami Bar technology allows us to take the training to the grass. Now I know through my sport of golf that natural agility can be converted to athletic ability. And why is this Tsunami, Robbie? transferring the training to the grass, this may be the most undervalued characteristic of the Tsunami Flexible Bar technology. The Tsunami Bar action loads and unloads at the concentric and eccentric transition points. This is what we call reversal forces, and the Tsunami Bar is the only bar and training device that I know of that can train these reversal forces adequately at speed.
1: Hey, this is Phil Cornblue. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today.
2: What does the 50th anniversary of Title Nine mean? It means I'm valued, I'm empowered, I can do anything. It means I'll pave the way for every girl who plays high school sports in the future. Just like every female student, coach, official, and administrator blaze the trail for me. Because every student deserves the opportunity to play. Encourage girls you know to participate in South Carolina high school sports.
0: This message presented by the SCHSL and the South Carolina Athletic Administrators Association.
1: Still tight on time to get the recruiting in, so we'll save it for after uh, we wrap up with Gene Sapikoff in the next little bit over at Colonial Life Arena. South Carolina women up on Alabama eighteen to six. Alabama shooting sixteen point seven percent from the floor. USC led eleven to six at the break, so they have shut out Alabama in the second quarter by a score of seven to nothing. Uh, balanced scoring for the Gamecocks. Hall's got four. Kitts has four. Johnson has three. Pow Pow has three. Of course, they are playing without their big one in the middle there, Cardosa, was out with an injury. And College of Charleston playing up at Delaware. It's 1918 Cougars with 8.46 to go in the first half in a CAA battle there. Okay, break is coming up. On the other side, we'll be joined by – One of our great friends, a guy who will be missed here in the media of South Carolina covering the sports scene as he has done so well for 38 years. Gene Sapikoff from the Post and Courier who announced this week is wrapping up his sports riding career. We'll find out why and what's ahead for him. And then recruiting here on Sports Talk. That's all coming up. Don't go away. Back in a moment. All right, we're back it's 24 to 6 South Carolina women outscoring Alabama the Alabama women on strike because of the firing of Eli Gold they're refusing to play good basketball they've been shut out in the second quarter 13 to nothing 24 to 6 South Carolina women cruising once again they'll clinch the SEC championship with this win tonight in about another hour or so A man who doesn't really have to worry about this anymore after worrying about it for 38 years, crisscrossing the state, traveling the country, circumventing the world, uh, covering sports, but primarily focusing on things here in South Carolina in his backyard of Charleston. He stunned us. He stunned us like Eli Gold getting stunned or like Nick Saban stunned us by announcing this week he is stepping down, leaving, departing. As the uh, sports columnist for the Charleston Post and Courier, ladies and gentlemen, royalty in the media of South Carolina, we welcome Gene Sapikoff to Sports Talk with a heavy heart. Though you're not dead, that's the good thing. With a heavy heart, Gino, we welcome you. How are you?
3: Thanks for that build-up, Phil. I'll, uh, the check is in the mail. Wow, that was pretty outstanding, and especially coming from you, who I hope, respect for for so many years. I mean, I think that it's interesting. I think I've told a lot of people this. Only you and Pete Acabelli and me really like devote splitting our time between Clemson and South Carolina, and it's kind of a unique little fraternity that we've had for a long time there, and uh, what a blast it's been. Absolutely.
1: Man, we admire you for what you've done and the way you write and the stories you tell and never backing up. You know, I hope that uh, young journalists learn from people like you. You don't back up. You take a step forward. So why now for you? I mean, to me, you're still a young guy. You still got a lot of, uh, a lot of vinegar in you to, to spit out there. Uh, why the decision to leave your job with the Post and Courier after 38 years now?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, Phil, I've been thinking about this for a while, maybe even since like October, seriously, and, you know, wasn't sure if I was going to maybe go uh, another football season or even a little longer, but I just think this is the right time. And uh, I think it's good for the Post and Courier, too, to have like some, fresh voices. I th- I think we have an excellent staff with David Kloniger, Jeff Blau, our great uh, jo- John Blau covering Clemson, and our great sports editor, Jeff Hartzell there, plus Andrew Miller and David Shelton. But um, I-, I just think um, also for me, I, I still want to explore some other things. I have a few options out there. Uh, I also want to do uh, more service projects. I spent the entire month of January in Israel doing a service project. And while I was just walking around over there thinking, well, there's nothing quite like spending a month in Israel. I would like to spend more time doing some service projects that maybe a nine to five job wouldn't necessarily allow.
1: Yeah. I read your stuff that you wrote from Israel. You were kind of, uh, helping to help the fighters. You were there helping with the supply people and doing whatever you could. And you talked about the missiles going overhead and the, planes flying overhead, a unbelievable experience that you can only imagine what it's like by being there and seeing it all. And so was that kind of the final straw for you in your in, in your thinking at that time after going through that and experiencing that? Was that sort of what pushed you over the edge?
3: Uh, maybe. I don't know. I haven't really, you know, exactly processed at all. It was a factor in just making me think I want to do more – uh, service project type things um, in low country, in South Carolina, maybe Georgia, North Carolina, things like that. Just really look around and, and maybe some stuff abroad if if I can afford it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there there were a lot of things that came together. And I'll tell you, just a perfect symmetry for me, Phil, a real quick story of a column I had in the Post and Courier and it's on our website mm-hmm. is – uh, I'm in Israel and I would only get the news on the weekend because on IDF basis we really didn't get a lot of internet, weren't supposed to be texting and tweeting for good reasons. But um, I, I, saw, I saw Shane Beamer has hired Joe D. Camillus as a special teams coach. Yeah. Joe D father, Tony D. Camillus, was my career development teacher, Phil, in middle school in Denver, Colorado. And for my project, uh, I was lost at the time in ninth grade, no idea what I wanted to do. But he came up to me, Tony DiCamillis, Joe's dad, and said, Gene, you like sports, you like writing. Why don't you look into a career as a sports writer, and that could be your class project. So I call a young Denver columnist named Woodrow Page, Woody Page. He's on ESPN all the time now. And, um, you know, he helped me along and, and here I am on the Phil Cornblute show Ooh. and Joe G. Cornelis is Shane Beamer's special teams coach. So what do you think of that? I read
1: that column. I was amazed by it. I mean, I'm like, what a small world, you know? Uh, and you're leaving, having a great source over there at South Carolina. So you're leaving that, uh, opportunity behind you. Are you thinking about writing a book?
3: Uh, I am thinking about writing a book, and some other people have asked me about this, but it's not going to be about sports. It's probably going to be um, uh, a, a Christian-related book. I think it's a really good idea, and that's why I'm not really talking about it because mm-hmm. i talked to a publisher and so forth, and I, I just don't want anybody to steal it from me, frankly. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, yeah, that's the kind of book I would write.
1: I understand. Visiting with Gene Sapa, Fu. Have you officially left? The paper, walked out the door, cleaned out your desk and all that?
3: Uh, I'm not officially left until the end of next week, March 1st. But um, I'll tell you one thing I just want to say real quickly because you are the recruiting guru of the entire South, as far as I know. Um, My writing, like, was okay. But, Phil, I was a really good recruiter. I cold-called recruited eight beat writers for the Post and Courier. They they did not apply for the jobs. Travis Haney, Travis Sachik, Grace Rayner, Aaron Brenner, Josh Needleman, John Blau, Daryl Slater, and Ryan Wood did not apply for the jobs that we got co- that we had them covering the Gamecocks and Clemson. I recruited them, got the Post and Courier to hire them, and they all just did award-winning work for the Post and Courier, and that's Honestly, my favorite thing that I've ever done at the Post and Courier.
1: Well, you did a hell of a job with that because those were all terrific writers. Which brings me to my next question related to the business. We all know what the newspaper business is going through. The state newspapers about to cut it down to three days a week. The uh, Sumter papers cutting it down to two days a week. Everywhere across America you're seeing that. Yet the Post and Courier continues, I'm going to say thrive. I don't know if that's the correct word. You can tell me if it is or not. But it continues to to thrive, in my eyes, with coverage around the state and publishing a newspaper, along with what you guys do on the web every day as well. Why has the Post and Courier been able to rise above
3: Yeah, well, again, I'm not going to talk about the Post and Courier without saying how great John Blau is at covering Clemson and David Kloniger is at covering the Gamecocks, but it's simply this. We're a family-owned newspaper. The Manigault family wants to try to be uh, really good statewide, so we have bureaus now in Columbia, and I mean staffed bureaus in Columbia, Greenville, Myrtle Beach, North Augusta, Rock Hill, and uh, Hilton Head all Mm -hmm. over the place. And they're just really trying to uh, take advantage of some of the weaknesses that you mentioned. Like, I'm just going to say Myrtle Beach uh, isn't what it once was newspaper wise, and neither is Sumter and some of these other places. And so we're trying to kind of fill the gap, but we can do that because we're not taking orders from, you know, Rochester or Sacramento or someplace like, unfortunately, some of these other entities are we're a family owned newspaper that can kind of try to navigate themselves and uh it's 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 been a cool and exciting thing but having said all that uh there's a lot of really good uh reporting and writers all over especially Dwayne Mclemore, the job he does hiring people at the state mm-hmm. uh Scott Keeper and company at the Greenville news you know that i mean uh, the, the consumers of journalism with people like John Whittle and Larry Williams out there doing great work on the fan sites. I mean, if I was a fan, I mean, this is a great time to be a Gamecock uh, or Tiger fan with all the great reporting on all the different kinds of media out there.
1: Yeah. Is it kind of tough, though, as an, I guess I can call you an old school newspaper guy, you know, a shoe to the to the cement and walking the beat and doing all that and trying to remain neutral, trying to be the true journalist who you don't have a dog in the fight. You don't care who wins a game. You're just writing the story, putting out the facts, the details, and the the behind-the-scenes stuff, which is how everybody in the newspaper business grew up. Yet the fan sites, they write in a different way. They kind of write to a different audience, and they're thriving doing so. Any kind of a rub for you from that standpoint?
3: Well, not really. And I'll tell you a little secret. You know, if we're writing a so called negative story about Clemson, uh, Gamecock fans will read that. And if we're writing a so called negative story about the Gamecocks, Tiger fans tend to be interested in that. So, for for a, and you, I think you have the same thing, and Jacobelli, you and me, and, you know, some of the television people, frankly, uh, in the same way. Uh, you can get readership and eyes on what you're doing by being objective, just as well as being, you know, a fan site person. And by the way, I, I mean, I think again. I'm citing John Whittle and Larry Williams as standouts, but I could name ten other people in the state. Sure. Hail McGranahan and David Hood and people like that are, are just really, really good at what they do. It's just different than what I do.
1: Absolutely. Visiting with Gene Sapokoff here, leaving the uh, the Post and Courier, will you write a final column? Uh.
3: That's kind of to be seen. I think the post incur is going to have something with some quotes from me. I'm not sure if it's a final column, but if people have been paying attention, and I don't expect that they have, I've written some kind of farewell-type pieces here over the last few months yeah. seeing this coming. So um, if you just went through my column file at com, you'd see some things that uh, would would kind of be final-type stuff. <laughs>
1: So when you reflect on 38 years, and that's a hard thing to do here in a short a, a period of time, but I know as you're interviewed by people, you're going to be asked this question, and that is, you know, like a favorite memory because, uh, I mean, you've been around all the top people in sports in this state, uh, from John McKissick down there to Danny Ford to Dabo to Beamer to, to Spurrier, et cetera, and, and the basketballs and the baseballers and everybody. I'm not going to sit here and throw out the entire list to you, no and not going to try to throw out all the different events that you've covered hundreds, hundreds, if not thousands, of course. But with all that being said, you know, does one individual stand out to you from the standpoint of just your enjoyment in covering that person or the story you wrote or the stories you wrote, any one stand out to you?
3: Uh, well, just to add to some of those names, uh, Don Staley, John Cress, Ray Tanner, mm. but I'll tell you what. It's the story of the underdogs than the story of the great champions. And I might have to say that the Cannon Street YMCA 1955 team that, you know, all the white teams in the state refused to play. And I wrote that story for Sports Illustrated. It's still on there. SI Vault, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful story. I love that. And then Mike Beck and his late daughter, Rebecca, who died of a rare brain disease, Wrote several stories about that. It's now a really cool Netflix documentary um, on Rebecca Beck and and Mike Beck. So I'd say those are probably my two favorite stories of of just kind of underdogs and unknown things. At least when I first started writing about them. Um, But wow, you and me and all the other Carolina since about two thousand. 14, 15, 2000, when, when the Gamecocks started, you know, winning in College World Series and Staley came, Spurrier, Dabo. I mean, what a run there was there through that stretch. Obviously, Frank Martin, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've just been really fortunate for all the excitement.
1: So. No no question. They have made our lives uh, from a professional standpoint very interesting Man, can't thank you enough for taking some time out uh, to spend it here with us on Sports Talk. Wish you the very best. Uh, I know we'll hear from you, see you from time to time, but uh, our door and our phone line is always open for you. Anytime you want to come on board and talk some sports, we're here for you.
3: Thanks for all you've done for me over the years, Phil. I really appreciate it.
1: You too, my friend. Take care.
3: Okay, thank you.
1: Thank you. All right, Gene Sapikoff. man, I tell you, he's the last – at, you know, right now, unless something changes somewhere down the road, he is—he's the last of the icons of the columnist, sports columnist here in South Carolina. I mean, going back to my my beginning days, you know, people talk about Herman Helms. He—he he was earlier than me, of course. He goes back to the to the '60s, so I kind of grew up with Herman Helms. But in terms of, from a professional standpoint, who I got to rub shoulders with like a Dan Foster, for example, um, that was big for me to know him because I worked in the upstate, to talk to him, to get his thoughts, to ask him about why he wrote something. I love talking to that man, Dan Foster, because he would tell you bluntly why he wrote something. He had no fear. And, you know, Ron Morris here in Columbia is controversial, as he was made to be for the newspaper. I say made to be. Maybe he wanted to be that way. But he wrote things that you wanted to read, whether you liked them or not, insightful and entertaining and, um, you know, gave you something to think about. That's what these guys are supposed to do. And, and Gene was the same way during his many years there in Charleston. Of course, he followed one of the all-time greats in Kim Berger, you know, Everybody loved Ken Berger's columns. Oh, so well thought out, so well prepared, so well presented. Awesome, awesome people, eh? They're all missed. But I'm glad Gene is still with us and going to be doing some other great things. Okay. Thanks to uh, Gene for being with us. 33-11, to 11, USC women leading Alabama at the break. Alabama 5-32, of 32, as under 16%. The Gamecocks are shooting 40%. And it is Watkins with eight and Hall with eight leading South Carolina. Uh, Let's see what other numbers here. Alabama's turned it over 12 times. South Carolina's winning on the boards, 28-19. They've got eight offensive boards. They're outscoring the bench 10-0. In the paint, 18-8. Fast break, 10-4. The Gamecocks have blocked seven shots. They've had six steals. Always look at that. Because that's stolen possession. So if you block seven shots and you have six steals, that's 13 opportunities at the basket taken away from the opponent. That's always critical in my eyes. So they're cruising to an SEC championship up 33 to 11. We give you the recruiting report here tonight on Sports Talk. It's brought to you by SeaWells. All right, tomorrow is a roast beef Friday in RBF at SeaWells. You don't want to miss it. Mark it down. Be there on time. Be first in line. You know what happens if you're first in line? Get first dibs. <laughs> it's all fresh. Yeah. You get to be the first one to stick the spoon in the casserole, which I think is important.
2: I've never been to Wells, so
1: I got to go tomorrow, I guess. Yeah. What do you mean you never been to SeaWorld? Then you're you're not American. What are you, commie? Yeah. Well, yeah, you need that's to. What I am. You need to put on your American hat and get over there to Seawells. Uh, they're open 11 to 2. It's only $14. What we pay you, Josh, you can afford that many times over. And if you need the very best in catering, you want to give Seawells a call as well. 803 771 7385 online at SeawellsCateringSC.com. One time USC baseball commitment. Wide receiver Micah Matthews, 63205, of Bridgewater, Virginia has set official visits with Virginia Tech and North Carolina. Clemson is now involved. Paul Strilo was the first to report Clemson uh, with Tiger Illustrated. Clemson is now involved through contact with receivers coach Tyler Grisham. Matthews plans to visit for the junior day on March the 9th. Last season, he called 86 passes for 1,476 yards and 16 touchdowns. His offer list includes NC State, Rutgers, Maryland, Virginia, Kentucky, East Carolina, Liberty, West Virginia. He visited Virginia Tech for a junior day in late January. Clemson is set for an official visit from wide receiver Cortez Mills of Homestead, Florida, on May 31st. The following weeks, he plans to visit Florida, Nebraska, Miami. Thursday, 2026 defensive end Zion Ely of Baltimore, 6'5", 225 was offered by USC. He also has offers from Maryland, Syracuse, and Penn State. Clemson target linebacker Jaden Harmon of Rome, Georgia, was offered by Ohio State and Texas A&M. Clemson and USC target linebacker Chase Taylor was offered by North Carolina and LSU. South Carolina targets continue to go public with their plans for official visits with the Gamecocks this season. These include defensive end Jared Smith, 66230 of Alabaster, Alabama. He'll visit South Carolina on June the 7th. Safety Christopher Hatfield of Lincolnton, Georgia. He'll visit South Carolina on June the 7th. He was also at a USC Junior Day back in January. Sumter defensive end Anthony Addison. He's got USC down for June 21st. He was there for a Junior Day. Back in January, he was also at the Kentucky game and in for a spring practice last March. Also, on June 21st, safety Justin Rowe from Asheville, 6'3", 210. He's got North Carolina set for June 7th. Offensive tackle Cortez Smith, 6'4", 295, Lilburn, Georgia, has South Carolina down for the first weekend in June for an official visit. Gamecocks have been recruiting Smith since offering him in 2022. He was in for a game last season for a spring practice last March. He also camped at USC in the summer of 2022. Safety Jadon Blair, 6'4", 180 of Winston-Salem, has an official with the Gamecocks May 31st. He's also got officials in June with Notre Dame, Michigan, and Penn State. He was at USC's junior day back on January 13th. USC target defensive end Tayshaun Alston going to visit Virginia Tech June 21st, he'll be at USC. On May 31st, offensive tackle Kevin Wynn from Greensboro, Georgia, has USC in his current top 10. The others are Florida State, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Florida, Southern Cal, Tennessee, NC State, Michigan. He also just picked up an offer from Texas. Center Isaac Souls of Louisville named the top 10: USC, Louisville, Kentucky, Miami, NC State, Penn State. Vanderbilt, West Virginia, Virginia, and Indiana. USC target 2026 quarterback Jared Curtis of Nashville, offered by UCLA. Offensive tackle Matty Augustine of Greenwich, Connecticut, had an offer from USC committed to Notre Dame. Camden defensive back Jordan Krim was offered by Liberty. And linebacker running back Eddie Pino from T.L. Hannah committed to the Citadel. There you go, recruiting notes tonight. On a big Thursday night here on Sports Talk. Hey, if you missed any of the show tonight, a reminder, we'll have it all up for you later on in podcast form. Everything's up on SoundCloud, the entire show, as well as the various guests tonight. And go back to listen to these things in a podcast manner. We also have our podcast for you on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Anybody else have podcasts out there? I don't think so. I think that pretty much covers it. So if you go to all those different places, you can find our stuff. It's a great way. The podcast sounds great. The show in podcast form uh, sounds great. Okay. A couple of other notes to talk about before we sign off tonight. And tomorrow night, of course, Friday, Jeff Owens will be with us talking NASCAR. George Bryan will be with us talking golf. We look forward to that. Uh, we'll see what Greg Sankey has to say tomorrow at USC, why he's here, what he's talking about. Pitching rotation for this weekend for South Carolina, same as last week. They face Belmont. It'll be Eli Jones tomorrow, Dylan SQ on Saturday, Roman Kimball on Sunday, assuming the weather holds up. And let's see. We've also got Clemson's rotation here somewhere. Where did I put the rotation for the Tigers? Should be right here with the Gamecocks. But it's the same rotation the Tigers had last week. So, for what it's worth, same rotation they threw out there last week. And um, the Tigers are home this weekend as well. Who are they playing? I forgot. Let's see, Clemson. South Carolina's got Belmont, and Clemson has got – oh, Kennesaw State. Oh, here we go. Clemson's got Kennesaw State. And I can tell you real quick, just to be official, they will start Billy Barlow tomorrow, Tristan Smith on Saturday, Aiden Kanak on Sunday and then of course there's some midweek games next week but then we get ready for the big base brawl for it all in South Carolina the Gamecocks and the Tigers and of course on when no let's see on Tuesday of next week Clemson will play upstate and South Carolina will also have a midweek game next week and that will come against uh, Gardner Webb and then we'll look forward to the showdown Thank you, Josh Cohen. Yep. Thank you everybody for being with us. Have a great night. See you tomorrow.